Hello, my name is David Ian McKendry, former Fangoria video producer and writer back in the early 2010s, and now podcast host of this show, Penning Terror. Now, each episode of Penning Terror, I'll be interviewing renowned horror writers to get their insight into the craft of horror writing and the business in general from a writer's perspective. This show is for both up-and-coming writers out there that are looking for advice from professional working writers, as well as you non-writers out there who are just curious about the process or just want to hear an in-depth, behind-the-scenes account of how your favorite horror films got onto the page. Whatever brought you here, I hope you enjoy the show and that you walk away with something useful from it. And now on with Penning Terror. Whenever you come in here and interrupt me, you're breaking my concentration. You're distracting me. You're distracting me. You're distracting me. And it will then take some time to get back to where I was. You're distracting me. It's 2020 and surfing the web is dead. All the horror news you need is now just one click away. Fangoria.com is your first destination for all the horror news of the day, featuring a constant curation of the Fango team's favorite links from across the internet. You'll also find deep dives and daily thoughts from the biggest names in horror, as well as exclusive access to the Fangoria vault. Check out Fangoria.com for yourself and see the horror right before your eyes. Use promo code PENNINGTERROR for 15% off right now. Now, that's promo code Penning Terror, P E N N I N G T E R R O R, for 15% off right now. Hey, gang, this is uh, one of my favorite interviews you're about to hear. This is Mallory O'Mara, uh, writer of The Lady from the Black Lagoon. She uh, comes by to talk about one of my favorite topics, uh, research and expertise. Even if you're a fiction writer and you're writing novels or screenplays, thorough research and, and having some level of expertise in your, in your subject matter that you've uh, you know, researched and thought out and, and really put the time into finding out more about is something that's just going to give your work uh, more depth and, and an increased legitimacy that you, you're really going to see uh, play out in the end result. Uh, one bit of correction here. I mentioned Barry Gifford as the writer and creator of the documentary series uh, American Chronicles, produced by David Lynch. It was actually written and created by another Lynch collaborator, Mark Frost, a co-creator of Twin Peaks. So it was a spontaneous mention. I apologize. Please don't kill me on Twitter. Just uh, chalk it up to my own lack of research. That said, please enjoy my conversation uh, with Mallory O'Mara. That's the purpose of this is I want to create something where people that are interested in writing can get advice and, and, and really, you know, get into the details of certain expertise. Yes. And I know that uh, from reading your book that you did a lot of research. I did. I yeah. did. And so um, what's the first thing that I have to ask about is 
So you, you get a tattoo yes. of a woman that yes. you you know you some know somewhat about her her story. Um, as you dive into the research, are you now afraid of what you're going to find? Yeah, for sure. Because uh, when I got the tattoo, Millicent Patrick was more of a symbol than she was anything else because she uh -huh. was such a mystery to everyone, and all anyone really knew was she worked on creature. Uh, so I was very nervous that you know she would be racist. <laughs> some horrible thing would come out and I would have to, you know, turn her into like, you know, Jack Skellington or something. Right. Hunting humans for fun or something like yeah, that. Some <laughs> like... wacky thing because you never know, especially right. in this culture that we live in today where, you know, mm -hmm. celebrities are constantly getting called out for things they did in college or like remarks that they made and, you know, and no one's perfect. Right. And I did find out a lot of things that were imperfect about her, but nothing like nothing on that level. Right. So you, big relief. <laughs> so you didn't have to get anything removed or anything no, like that. I, she think. still is my she still is my favorite tattoo of mine. Mm -hmm. And the same artist who did the tattoo did my book cover as well. And when we were having this conversation about it, my editors like it was early conversations about having the same illustration my, as my tattoo as the book cover. And I said no because I want to keep it for myself. Right. Uh -huh. <laughs> I was like, no, this is mine. This is a like a very personal tattoo for me, and I don't want. I just don't. I want something different for the book. Right, and yeah, with my tattoos, I have to make sure that David Lynch doesn't do or say anything I for mean, quite a long time. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, you, you as well. So. I, uh, David Lynch is my favorite filmmaker, and every single time mm -hmm. I see him trending on Twitter, I my heart drops because I'm like, is he dead? Did he say something terrible? But no, he's just being. Um, what's your favorite Lynch movie? Wild at Heart. For Wild at Heart? Oh. Uh, although it, it changes between Wild at Heart and Eraserhead, right. which is a funny two movies to move in between. Mm -hmm. uh, but I love, one, I love Barry Gifford so much. And yeah. two, I love, I mean, you just cannot beat that David Lynch, Wild at Heart dialogue. Like the snappiness of, of Barry Gifford mixed with David Lynch is just like, I saw a great quote and I forget, I always swap up who's who, but they said that David Lynch makes the ordinary extraordinary and Barry Gifford makes the extraordinary ordinary. Uh -huh. And so they're the perfect combination right. of this like very normal couple doing this thing that actually is very not normal at yeah. all. <laughs> yeah. And have you seen, um, uh, I just recently came across it, but it's a documentary series from the 90s called uh, American Chronicles. No. It it was uh it's produced by lynch uh, i think it's gifford who does the uh did the writing on it and it's narrated by um uh, richard dreyfus wow it's it's like a documentary acid trip oh my god it sounds so up my alley though you can find it online but yeah they cover mardi gras and they cover like uh all oh sort like new york at night it's Ugh. and it was on fox i think like oh, back in the crazy. 90s so yeah that's check that out it's absolutely well um but yeah uh, so you you found all this this information on somebody who uh intentionally was erased yes from from history and where where do you start with something like that where you don't know what you know this person was disappeared essentially well i started just i think how almost anybody would start nowadays and i just googled her mm -hmm. you know you just see what's available widely on the internet and i did a lot of internet searching and i came up sort of bone dry you know there really wasn't she didn't even have a, have a wikipedia article there were some blogs there's one article about her on a science fiction website but it didn't really it, it talked more about the era in which she worked than her herself uh so i knew that from that point on because right now i think we live in this you know this 
we have this massive surplus of information available to us at all times. We think, oh, I'll just like look it up online. But not you can't do that with everything. Mm -hmm. There is a massive surplus of information, but it doesn't mean it's the right information. Right. Uh, so I had to pull a Hermione Granger and go to the library, which is my favorite mm -hmm. place in the world. And that's really because I full disclosure to listeners, I dropped out of high school and college. I have no formal education in anything besides a babysitting course that I took wow. when I was 14. Do not have an MFA. Mm -hmm. I have no formal training in writing. I mean, I took college classes in writing, but I don't have a degree in anything. So I had to teach myself how to research. So I was learning how to research as I was learning about Millicent Patrick. Mm -hmm. And I made a lot of fumbles along the way. I'm writing a new book now. And I feel like if I knew back then, three years ago, when I was writing Lady from the Black Lagoon, what I know, it would, would have saved me probably maybe a year's worth of time. Mm -hmm. But you just, I, my best advice is to talk to librarians. Mm -hmm. Because they, libraries make it so, they make it, they make reading accessible for everybody, but they also make writing accessible for everybody. You can just ask them mm -hmm. questions. Because I didn't know, I literally, I, I, I had, I, I took a piece of paper and I wrote birth on one side and death on the other. And then there was a <laughs> bunch of question marks in between. And all I really knew for certain was she worked on creature. I didn't have birth dates or death dates or birth certificates. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of misinformation going around. So I just started trying to fill in those blanks. And every little piece that I would get, it was would lead me to something else. And there's a little piece here and a little piece there. And very slowly, I started to piece it all together. Wow. wow. And, and yeah, people don't realize uh, to be a librarian, you actually, they have doctorates. Yeah, they are, that are in libraries, so they 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 are a great resource. Oh, they're the best. Um, what what kind of hard copy uh, evidence did you did you come across in, in your research? Well, what I did. Well, besides going to the library, the other thing that is great is that I mean, as my day job, I'm a horror filmmaker, so mm -hmm. I used all those great connections I have. That's one of the most amazing things about the community that we live and work in is that everybody knows each other. Everyone's really supportive. So I sort of put the call out. I just emailed tons and tons of people like, hey, I'm writing this book about Millicent Patrick. Do you know anything? So I, cause I started with Creature. That was that was my thing that I could you know hang, hang all of my ropes off of is that I knew this was a thing. So I, I knew that somewhere in all of my Creature research, I would find something that would lead me somewhere else to her mm -hmm. and uh there's a great historian his name is tom weaver and he wrote a book called the creature chronicles which is the book on all three of the creature movies mm -hmm. every, it has every bit of minutiae about any of those movies you could ever want and he said i reached out to him and he um my friend david scow who's another horror writer put me in touch with him and he said, hey, you know, yeah, I, I did all this research on this stuff. I have a little bit of stuff on Millicent, but if you, you can, you're welcome to come to my home in New York if you want to come, you know, Xerox what I have, but you could just go to LA and look at all this stuff yourself. And mm -hmm. I didn't realize that uh, USC has something called the Cinematic Arts Library yeah. where they have the production materials for a lot of movies that were made by Universal during a certain time period. And so I got permission from the archivist there to go in and look at all the material on Creature. Mm -hmm. So I looked at all of the material for all the movies around that time, trying to find stuff about her. Mm -hmm. And I, in those archives, I found handwritten letters from her and wow. like all kinds of like hard evidence that she worked on this movie and then that gave me that 
led me to, oh, well, she must have worked on this other thing and worked on this other thing. Uh, so you had to do actual legwork, like yeah. actually <laughs> walking around. It's like a, a private investigator almost doing yes. this. Yeah. yeah. I, what's funny is at the beginning of the project, I actually thought about hiring a PI really? to help me because mm-hmm. I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. All I, I, you know, I just had to figure it out, but I soon realized that that was a little too steep mm-hmm. of a cost right. for me, uh, especially since I hadn't sold it yet. I put a year's worth of research into it before I had even sold the idea of the book mm-hmm. so i was i self-funded the whole thing for a couple of years mm-hmm. and i wow. knew i couldn't afford a private investigator <laughs> yeah no they are very expensive it's like hiring a lawyer or something yeah, like basically. that yeah um so during the research phase of this when do you kind of discover your find your your finding a story that is very relevant and important to tell today yes like, uh, well, what what really cracked the whole thing open for me and made the book what it is, because uh, for listeners that don't know anything about the book, it's not just a straight biography. It's I always pitch it as um, Julie and Julia, but for monsters, because mm-hmm. uh, it's also my story of finding her. And it was just going to be a straight biography because um, that's, you know, as I wanted to tell her story. But and again, for listeners... I wrote this book way before Me Too happened. I started mm-hmm. I started working on this book in December of 2015, way before those right. conversations were in the media and in this like current current climate. So people weren't really thinking about stuff like that, mm-hmm. or people weren't open to thinking about stuff like that. So I was just like, oh, I'm going to write this biography. This is going to be fine. And Millicent meant so much to me because uh, she's still the only woman who's designed a monster for a major mm-hmm. studio. Uh, and she's the only one who designed one of the classic Universal monsters. So she was a hero of mine as a horror filmmaker. And uh, a friend of mine was asking a friend, and I think it's important for every horror nerd to have at least one non-horror nerd friend to just like keep you... A little balanced. Yeah, keep your life (laughs) a little bit balanced. And my very normal friend, she asked me, why are you doing this? Why are you spending all this time and all this money, like your whole savings to work on this woman? Like, what is this? Why does this matter so much to you? And I thought... Because what happened to Millicent Patrick is happens to women right now. Mm-hmm. It happens, you know, it happens every day in every yeah. industry. And that's when I thought that this story might be a little bit bigger than mm-hmm. just what happened to her. And I started putting it in context. And I think that's what's really interesting. And I think what horror does best more than any other genre is it puts these bad situations and these nightmares and these monsters that are metaphors for whatever and puts them in context Mm -hmm. you know that nothing shows you what a current society is worried about more than the horror movies that are coming out or the horror books that are coming out during that time period so i wanted to sort of do that with millicent because you can't talk about what happened to millicent patrick her being you know essentially erased from history without mm-hmm. talking about why it happened right so that that kind of gave me my through line for the book and started because it's one thing to like do all this research and your pilot you have all these facts but what are you going to do with them you know what do they mean mm-hmm. you need to have some kind of vision for how you're going to put them all together right you know it's kind of boring to just be like and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened uh, to prepare for this book, I read a ton of biographies, and uh, my favorite author in the entire world is a woman Shirley, named Shirley Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, the queen of horror right. literature. Yeah. And I listened to this 18 and a half hour long audiobook that was a biography. Um, it's a rather haunted life by Ruth Franklin, and it was amazing. But by the end of the book, you know, you knew what kind of underwear Shirley Jackson liked, or the cocktails that she right. drank, and you know what brand of soap that she like. You every little tiny thing about her life, you learned about. And I thought, this is great. 
but I only care about that because I'm obsessed with Shirley Jackson. Right. No one knew who Melissa Patrick was. Mm-hmm. I couldn't just be, I couldn't give this, you know, dry biography like this. Ha- she was born here and then this happened and then she went here and then went to school here. Mm-hmm. Well, I had to give someone a reason to care about her. And I think for writers, that is the biggest challenge, right? right? Why do, Why are you reading this? Why mm-hmm. are, why, you have to give someone a reason to care. Right. And uh, I think one thing that just really stood out to me was that uh, you found so much information. It, it had to be frightening to realize all this information is out there, but it was so easy to make somebody vanish. Yeah. Like, was it, I mean, it's kind of a horror story in itself right there. Oh, absolutely. Especially, well, back then, we take for granted, I think now, in everything, you know, with the internet, with social media, it's so easy to, A, find someone, but also people get credit for things. You know, when you watch the the credits of a film now, you're sitting and watching those those credits scroll for, what, 10 minutes? Mm -hmm. Everybody gets credit. I mean, as they should. But back then, if you watch, you know, you go and watch The Creature or Wolfman or any of those old monster movies, you know, only the heads of production got credit for things. Mm -hmm. So anything else that was happening underneath them in any of the departments, you know, who knows what who was doing what you right. know so it was very very easy to take credit from somebody and there was no there's no imdb there was no like widely used public place for people to assign credit and back then people didn't care as much you know only like super super nerds were wondering like oh who made this creature suit you know people just sort of took everything at face value because there was no there was no way to look into it there was no internet you know there was you know articles or people would do interviews or something but it wasn't there was no no place to go further Mm -hmm. and it was so easy to just wipe somebody right off the map yeah it's, it's frightening in, in a way and um well it's just frightening not yeah. in a way it is frightening <laughs> um so you you've become an expert on, on this what do you feel is uh the responsibility of expertise Ooh, in this? that is such a good question thank you for asking that because <laughs> I, I don't think i've ever anyone's ever actually asked me that before uh it was very weird when i was in the process of writing this book where i had this moment where i thought oh my god I am now the world expert on Millicent yeah. Patrick. And so writing this book, what there was it was so hard because not because writing a book is hard, which it is, mm-hmm. um, but I felt the weight of the responsibility. I was I mean, I was care I still am carrying Millicent Patrick's banner. Right. You know, it wasn't like I was just like writing the history of spoons. <laughs> you know, this one person's life. I was bringing to the world and there was, I felt such a massive sense of responsibility and I was constantly, every, every day when I wrote, I have um, several framed photos of her in my home and I would sit down and I would look at this framed photo of her and go, all right, Mel, like, here we go. Mm -hmm. And it was a weirdly emotional process because of that. And I actually am pretty hesitant to do another biography. I have a, I have an idea for another biography I want to do, but it probably will be a few years before I do just because it was so emotional for me. And when I started this, I'm, I'm writing the history of women drinking, mm-hmm. which has been so much easier to write because I don't have that. Uh-huh. I sat down and I actually, the first day I wrote, I got really emotional because I felt like I was saying goodbye to her. I cried uh, every single wow. time I finished a draft of this book because wow. I felt like, she isn't with me anymore. So, you know, writing about her in the beginning, I felt very protective of her mm-hmm. and there, you know, I wanted everyone, not only was I bringing her to the world and trying to try to make people care about her, but I had to write about her in an honest way. And I was like, Oh, every time I had, she made a mistake or did something screwed up. I, I didn't, I, I was like, Oh, should I leave this out of the book? And 
it, it was a big break, breakthrough moment for me when I realized that, yes, I have to put everything in here, not only because of my responsibility as a, as a biographer and as a writer, but because I need to show that everybody's worth writing. Like women are worth writing about even if they screw up. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want, I realized that I was judging her. I was prejudging her, right. you know, I wasn't yeah. even giving people a chance mm-hmm. because I was so protective of her. And it felt like having a kid or something when you're like, oh, I, I can't be a helicopter mom. Right. Like I have to just let them out into the world. Mm-hmm. And I just had to write about her and hope that people would still care. And it worked. Like people yeah. still, like, people really connect with her, but it was a very unique writing experience because mm-hmm. of that, because of that responsibility that I felt. Yeah. And you, you have to, you just have to give them, give everybody else the opportunity to make their own, their own judgment, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So you're, you also are screenwriters. So how, how do you apply your, uh, your researching skills to your screenwriting? I mean, well, that's what's great is now whenever I do a project, I have all these amazing resources mm-hmm. that I uncovered, whether it's newspapers.com, which is a digital database for newspapers. So if you are, you're, especially if you're writing some kind of period piece, you know, you can just look up local newspapers for mm-hmm. a small, like find a small town or find out the thing, the things that were ongoing or important to a small town somewhere during a certain time period. Uh, I feel like research can give a lot of your stories flavor mm-hmm. uh, and um, texture that it wouldn't have otherwise, you know, especially since so many horror stories take place in a small town or in a city and things that make it special are those, those little details. Mm-hmm. And uh, so knowing now that I have pl- things like newspapers.com, just you know, like being so savvy at the library. Like I have my library card number memorized at this point. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I'm, you get better at finding that information mm-hmm. and I definitely think it's improved, improved my skills as a screenwriter. There's a monster movie that I'm working on right now that takes place in Canada. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm like, oh, well, I can, I can find exactly the town that I want to use and all the information about it and make it all act like this is going to be great. And it's been fantastic. Nice, yeah. Now as a viewer, do you, do you notice uh researched films and and how the writer uh, uses like real facts yes i think i have this theory that we all are super nerdy about at least one thing uh so we're all whenever we read things or watch things or maybe even play things if it's a video game there's always going to be like one thing that you're knowledgeable about that you are looking out for for me i actually went to college the college that i I didn't complete my degree but i went to school for animal science Mm -hmm. so i'm super nerdy about zoology Mm -hmm. so one time i was um uh the beta reading a script for a friend and he had an owl that was out during a daytime scene and I was like dude owls are nocturnal like owls are, are nocturnal and yeah. like, oh I didn't even think about that so I think that we all have something like that yeah so just one thing that we know whether you're a plum like you know I have a friend who's, whose dad's a plumber and he gets really annoyed when he watches movies where people like plug up the toilet he's like ah, you can't do that like, <laughs> so I think uh, I think we all have stuff like that yeah and I guess you know you reach out to the people that you know have expertise in certain areas it's, it's good yes. a resource is just the people around you yes absolutely yeah. i think that that's something for writers that it's and it's it's really scary to send mm-hmm. people your stuff of course it is yes <laughs> uh, it's just a scary thing you're you're taking a little piece of yourself and throwing out into the universe but it is the best possible thing that mm-hmm. you can do as a writer it's one of the uh, pieces of advice i give to people find your trusted writing group mm-hmm. uh to give you people who give good notes people who 
people who are knowledgeable about certain things, about genres, or also people who are not knowledgeable about certain genres. Like if mm. you can get a, non, a person who isn't into horror to read your horror script and tell you what they think, like that's invaluable information. Mm -hmm. You know, I have my best friend and my boyfriend and a couple colleagues who I is like my core group of, of people who get, who get my treatments, my screenplays, my book proposals, my whatever I'm writing. And it is maybe the most important tool in my toolbox. Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of people approach writing as a, as a solo venture, but it's it's really not. <laughs> you really no. do have to get help. No, right? absolutely. Not even just with the craft of writing, but also like surviving, keeping your mental health going, talking about the business of things. There's so much weird minutia that people don't realize until they get be, like become a professional writer, whether you're a screenwriter or a book writer or whatever you do. And being able to share information with other authors and writers is so invaluable. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this this publisher is looking for this, or I got paid this much for this, or hey, that like I don't know how to do this. It is the most important thing is finding a community of people, and even just to like talk to and feel less alone. Mm -hmm. There's this weird idea that we have that's you know perpetuated by lots and lots of movies that writers go off to a cabin and they sit by themselves mm -hmm. and drink scotch and write, yep. <laughs> and like that's great. Yeah. I do drink with a by myself, or I do write by myself with a glass of bourbon. Like that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. But I also like participate in the community and reach out to all my other writers and like go to cons and go to events and like you have to balance out the two or you'll go insane oh yeah um so what gives you the most joy then the research or the writing if you could choose one i it, for me it, it still is the research one because it's easier <laughs> uh and two uh, i i i guess i just have some kind of private investigator bug now because when i find a piece of information I get so excited and I, I really, really love putting information together. I love gathering information and organizing them in a way. I'm very type A. I love to organize things. You should see my closet. So I get a lot of pleasure out of fun, like gathering all these bits of things and figuring out how they're going to be put together. So if I could just research my, like, my book forever, I would. I've actually changed my writing style for this new book where I'm researching it chapter, researching it and then writing that chapter, researching it and then writing mm -hmm. that chapter. Because I thought if I just let myself research this for a year, like I'll never get paid. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to force myself to write, but I just love, and I'm also a big reader. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll be, you know, I'm reading a ton of books on the history of alcohol and drinking. And I was sitting the other day, I'm like, I'm getting paid to read. This is my job. <laughs> it's nice. It's super fun. It's a good gig. Um, so yeah, you, you mentioned reading. You do. You host a podcast with Bria Grant, uh, Reading Glasses. I do. That's right. Okay. Um, so I'm going to assume you have a passion for reading. I do. Where did that develop? When did that develop for you, and how? Uh, I think I was always enamored with even just the idea of books. My grandfather, who is the like very, he's my only family member, um, is super super huge reader uh so there's i grew up with books all over the house and i have all these photos of me as a kid even before i could read just like holding books mm -hmm. um and when i was a kid my grandfather used to take me on walks in the state park and the state park uh is was used to be a an estate so there was this massive house and there were all these like outhouses and like gate um uh stables and all these like i don't know 
multiple buildings that rich people have on their mm -hmm. massive estate but it's, it was closed down so they were all just in the woods and when my grandfather would take me walking he would make up stories for all of the houses mm -hmm. and so i and he would do that wherever we would go so i kind of got this idea that everything had a backstory right. to it yeah and i like and that like i became really curious about stories and about everything's story so when i started reading that I just, that's all I wanted to do. And actually that's why I love horror so much because I feel like horror, what we're all looking for is what happened, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's a serial killer story and you want to know how he's doing it to a ghost story, you're really, the the, the magical moment is what actually happened, getting mm -hmm. that legend, getting that myth, getting that backstory. So that's what I live for. And I've always, always loved that. Mm -hmm. And so when I started reading, I mean, I still, I don't, I would rather keep my phone on or keep my book on me than my phone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, that's one of the things I do is uh, when I move to a new area, I have a habit of kind of researching pictures, like old pictures of the area. Cause that's I so kind of, cool. cause I kind of like, I want to know what was here yeah. and how it all developed. And it's, you're right that everything does have this history that is, is fascinating to, yeah. to see how we progress and oh for sure yeah i think as humans we are naturally curious about other people mm -hmm. and other things we want to know what's going on yeah and that's the magic of storytelling yeah who walked in in the same footsteps you're walking yeah. right now it's kind of yes. it's a cool thing and uh so you you mentioned that you you did drop out is was there um was there something with the uh, i mean it, it seems strange that you you i did i dropped out with straight a's <laughs> with straight a's yes, wow I was a very good student uh it's, it's sort of a long story um but i did drop out i did not have a great um family life and I, tr I tried uh, to drop out so I could go to college early right uh, and the finances did not work out mm -hmm. for me um, so then I started with community college put myself through community college and midway through community college I actually met my current boss uh, at Dark Dunes Productions that's my day job I produce for this indie film company I met him and he hired me to uh, run social media for this production company and mm -hmm. I so I dropped out of college and quit my job at a veterinary clinic mm -hmm. and quit my internship at a wildlife center to make horror movies. <laughs> and that's sort of how I ended up in, in this world. Okay. Um, but so it wasn't, I didn't drop out because of any, I mean, I guess it was kind of a bad reason because I wanted mm. to get out of home, but right. it wasn't, there wasn't like a big event. I just like a pedagogy, like something wrong with the pedagogy in school or no, anything no, like no, that. No. Yeah. I mean, my school was kind of lame. Uh, right. That's not the word I want to use. My school was kind my of, my school was lame. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it just wasn't, um, you know, I always joke that my high school was kind of like saved by the bell because it was like extremely white mm -hmm. and everyone was pretty affluent right and it was i was like the weird goth kids <laughs> I, think we, I think we went to the same school um yeah because i always wanted to drop out but yeah I, rem I i think my issue was always with the i didn't read any of the books that they asked us to read like uh, that was my shame in high school is i never read any of those books and it wasn't until in my 20s that i like developed this love for reading and went back that's and read very, those oh that's very interesting well they probably saved you because a lot i know a lot of people who read books I, I Assigned reading sometimes makes people automatically hate a book. Right. So what I would do is I would get the assigned book and I just read the whole thing right away. Mm -hmm. So I could like it without before my English teacher got the chance to pick it apart. Yeah. How long does it take you to read a book on average, you think? If, uh, I mean, I, I read a few books a week. Mm -hmm. um, I read between 100 and 300 pages a day. 
Wow. Um, well, people people hear that and they're like, wow, oh my God. But I also don't do a lot of other things. I don't uh-huh. commute. I work from home. So I have extra time. I listen to a ton of audiobooks while I'm like walking around the, mm-hmm. doing chores or whatever. Um, and I don't watch a lot of TV. Uh, so like my main source of entertainment is I just read a lot. Mm-hmm. It's so, I, I do read very quickly, but there's no like magic secret. I just make like I make a lot of time for it. Okay. All right. So audiobooks, are they reading? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I think that because I was actually thinking about this recently. We talk about it a lot on my show because I think one, any way you consume a book is reading. Mm-hmm. But two, are you going to tell someone who's visually impaired that and listen to audiobooks all the time right. that they're not reading? Like you're hmm. still putting the book into your brain in some way. Right. Like once you start to say, well, this is real reading and this isn't real reading. That is an ebook a real book? Like what like what makes a book a book? Mm-hmm. What makes a book a book is the story. And however you get it into your head, that's reading. Right. Okay. Um, so you're you're working on a book now, Girly Drinks. Where did yes. this uh, where did this come from? Uh, so sort of like uh, Lady from the Black Lagoon. Uh, I I always laugh that all of the projects that I work on are just like things that I'm mad that don't already exist. Because <laughs> I I did Lady from the Black Lagoon because I wanted to know. The bottom line was I wanted to know what happened to Millicent Patrick, and I wanted that story. And I'm um, a huge cocktail nerd, uh, big booze nerd. I love love cocktails. I love making cocktails. Uh, and when I got really into it a couple of years, or wow, it's almost uh, yeah, almost four years ago now. Um, there was I, I, I wanted to read about it because anything I get into, I want to read about it. And my best friend, who's the one who got me into cocktails, said oh, well, read this book, read this book. And I started reading all of them and they were all by guys. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, well, where's where's the book about women drinking? And she's like, oh, well, a book like that doesn't exist. And I thought, oh. <laughs> wow. Well, I know what I got to do now. Because yeah. <laughs> there's I, there was this, I was reading this book called Imbibe by David, David Wondrich, who is like the premier cocktail historian in the world. And there was like one little tiny paragraph about how during prohibition it was the first time women started drinking in bars because all the bars were speakeasies Mm -hmm. so all sorts of social rules were upended and women started drinking drinking there and i thought oh my god that's so interesting i want to know all about that and there was nothing else Hmm. and i thought i want a whole book made up of that of like a women's history of drinking Mm -hmm. and there we go that means i have to do it myself So where's the information for that come from? That's <laughs> that's the funny part is that it took me longer to write Lady from the Black Lagoon because I was having to learn how to research. But the problem with girly drinks is that all of the information is so spread out. And there's like, I will literally read an entire cocktail book to get one line of information. Wow. I've read um, probably almost 70 books for it already. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just for me, it, it's not a, an a, a, journey of discovery like lady from the black lagoon Mm -hmm. was i wasn't like a privately investigating anything but it was more like just grinding and crunching and like okay just keep reading keep basically reading every single cocktail book and academic paper there has ever been written Mm -hmm. to track down all of the information about women and then putting it all together in Mm -hmm. one book so what's uh what's the most interesting thing you've you've discovered about lady drinking (laughs) so much actually i think that's the thing that's most most fascinating and exciting to me is that women have been so intrinsically involved in every aspect of drinking culture in almost every single country all over the world and every single time period Mm -hmm. and they're so important that's why i think it's so interesting that there's this idea that like 
drinking is gendered like beer and scotch and whiskey like those are dude drinks when really when beer was invented it was women who were making it and women who were serving it and they mm-hmm. were serving a beer goddess <laughs> like the goddess the, the the deity of beer was a woman like it started out as like a women's thing uh-huh. so it's so interesting to me that now it's like oh it's a man thing it's a bro thing wow. beer 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 but women have really been the ones to make and serve alcohol throughout history. Mm -hmm. So the idea of like, that's why I called it girly drinks because like all drinks are girly drinks. (laughs) Uh, So that's what I think is really interesting is if you look into the history of any type, even like sake in Japan, like that was originally made by women. Right. And yeah, I guess in England they had, what was the... um mead right yeah mead, mead was actually the first type of alcohol and they think it was uh it was discovered accidentally because it's just honey old honey and water right um and uh when alcohol was first invented they were it wasn't filtered so you had to kind of drink it you drink it with a straw or there were when sake was first coming into coming into its own it was kind of like a chunky fermented stew that you would eat with chopsticks mm-hmm. it was really <laughs> gross <laughs> it was really gross yeah that's sounds it <laughs> but the women made it by chewing on rice and spitting it back into pots and like lit- letting it sit there and then you would eat it with chopsticks oh so oh nice <laughs> so gross. readers and writers in general to figure out just how to research and, and just go to the library come up with this much information <laughs> yeah i'm telling you get i if I if a high school and college dropout can do it, anybody can do it. Just get your library card. Ask ask a bunch of questions. Ask help from people around you. It's not. It really isn't rocket mm-hmm. science. I think there's this idea that especially with nonfiction that it's this lofty thing that's only available to academics. And there are barriers for sure. Like there's a lot of academic papers that I can't get access to because I don't I'm not associated with the university Mm -hmm. but if you ask your local library sometimes your local library has access to those things so you can get around it you can do it or your friend who might be a professor seriously (laughs) do you seek a biopic coming out on this or can you talk about it I'm not allowed to talk about it okay we'll leave it at that Uh, the name of the book is The Lady from the Black Lagoon this has been an amazing conversation thank Thank you you so much thank you for coming on here Thank you so much to Mallory O'Mara for stopping by and uh, sharing her expertise on research and uh, so many other fascinating topics that uh, we, uh, we covered on today's show. Be sure to check out her book, The Lady from the Black Lagoon, and be on the lookout for her upcoming book, Girly Drinks. You can uh, follow her on at Mallory O'Mara on Twitter. And if you want to hear more, check out her podcast. She co-hosts with Bria Grant called Reading Glasses. It's on uh, Maximum Fun. And, you know, I, I've also noticed in these last few episodes that I have not been uh, promoting myself uh, uh, as much as I probably should. You can follow me on Twitter on, uh, at Die Dave Die. That's Twitter at Die Dave Die. And uh, listen to my other podcast, Fear Initiative, on wherever podcasts are streamed. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep writing. Whenever you come in here and interrupt me, you're breaking my concentration. You're distracting me. You're distracting me. You're distracting me. And it will then take me time to get back to where I was. You're distracting me. You're distracting me. You're distracting me. We're going to make a new rule. In here, that means that I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. You're distracting me. That means don't come in. How do you think you can handle that? 
Penning Terror is a Fangoria Podcast Network original, produced and hosted by David Ian McKendry. Executive producers Dallas Sonnier and Phil Nobile Jr. Produced by Natasha Pacetta. Associate producer Jessica Safava Mare. Art and design by Jason Koslerich. Sound recording, design, and mixing by David Ian McKendry. For Fangoria, Brandon Wynardi.